0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ember Perspective. I'm your host, Stephen Ibach. In Ember Perspective, we seek to create an atmosphere for meaningful conversation and expect to find a greater perspective on how different people experience and relate to God. As you listen, know that you're welcome to any of the rhythms, tools, ideas, truths, or processes that we delve into. If you find them to be helpful, take them and bring fresh perspective to your life journey as you are relating to and experiencing God. Thanks for listening. So you had had how many years kind of in what what you said was the uh, kind of the trifecta of systems? Mm-hmm. How, how many how many years was that kind of
1: of what? Of being awake th- like within the trifecta of the system, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I I haven't really done too much in the world of government. I mean, I did your your usual American concept of voting for democracy or whatever, you know, every few years, but mostly in the business world, and the religion world, probably all the way, even some of the time here in Oklahoma City. Um. But, yeah, I mean, the, tr- the trying to unpack the, the system would be kind of hard, but sort of like how it's in The Matrix uh, when he's trying to s- describe the system. He's like, you know, like when you pay your taxes or when you go to church or you go to work, something like that. It's like that's, to me, the system or the machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just love that part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so you had
0: um, – that powerful week mm-hmm.
1: and what did God tell you to do at the end of that week well I mean to me it was it was kind of unclear as far as what my next steps were to do all it seemed like it was just to move to Oklahoma City and um there was never any idea that we were going to end up moving into the crack house <laughs> there was never that I don't think I would have come but and I didn't even look for a job. Um when I came out here because I thought I was going to get killed because when, but so by the time we ended up getting out there, things had shifted and the drug operation had kind of evacuated out and, um, and the purge kind of there began. But, and I thought that was going to be the result of my death. Um, but after three or four months of not dying, we, we just had to think, well, man, there must be something more going on here. But because um, in that middle of that week of Acts where I kind of feel like that verse came really to life where it says, if you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. Um, and there was like a couple times a day I, I thought we were going to die. But that's where like I got to see like this kind of weird authority stuff, you know, kind of start to take root of, like, I'd learn later, like, anyway, we don't have to talk about that stuff, but I just think that, th- that the system was kind of this born into me, or I was born into it, you know, so I was just playing the, what you kind of just do when you're just trying to make it through life, you know, you just kind of go through life, and, you know, you go to church, you go to work, and pay your taxes, mm-hmm. um, but it was there that I think in the out looking out the window of like especially the the poor and the homeless on the streets that I would have called then the closest a third world I'd ever been in the US that I kind of was awakened to that there needed to be a sh- significant shift a full shift of how life is happening as we know it in in America hmm. and 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 I think it was something having to do with Jesus, <laughs> 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 Jesus, and that's who I give my allegiance to, and that's who um I think will lead us out of that <laughs> that, that this crisis that I now call Fourth World a fourth world nation to me is where third world and f- third world poverty or or something like that in in a first world nation um or the the, the first world luxuries um kind of merge and uh and then basically you get fourth world which is which is going to be as a result uh, a relational poverty mm. a relational poverty
0: so you say relational pro- poverty um could you kind of unpack that a little bit in in what you were seeing and and what that means to you
1: well i mean even before i got to oklahoma city there was like this little thing where i lived in the suburbs you know the 3 bedroom 2 bath world and you know everybody talks like this like oh man you kind of pull in your garage and you shut the garage you don't know your neighbor i mean that statement's been used for decades now But I mean, I I think there's some merit to it, but at the same time, I mean, relational poverty goes deep into a whole culture Hmm. from fatherlessness to, um, just an individualistic culture that we've created, um, and, you know, just probably a lack of trust, lots of fear of man, um kind of what a relational poverty culture would look like. I mean, in the urban context to the rural context to the suburban context, it's going to have some similar roots. They might manifest differently. But, I mean, if you look in the suburbs, you've got gated communities, but they still don't know their neighbor, but they use the word community. Mm -hmm. but And then sometimes I think the urban poor had sweet community. Mm. They had some common unity for sure. Um, Mostly because they can't hide as easily, but they lose some elements of accountability and, you know, given over to lots of hurt that manifests um, into painkillers for certain, whether it's sex, drugs, and any other kind of things that might overtake, overtake somebody in the urban poor world. But that narrative's changing. But anyway, we, we can talk about anything that's maybe triggered there. I, I don't know what I'm really going towards there.
0: You know, you entered into this um, this world. And um, what did God start to speak to you on as, as you started mm-hmm. to see this state of the things, that some of the things that you were just saying and just uh, suburban, suburban poor um, communities that are gated? Um, mm-hmm. What do you feel like God started to speak to you about in the midst of all of that? Mm-hmm. and What was he showing you?
1: Well, I mean, like, I so in 2007, we get the invitation, I guess you could say, to move to Oklahoma City. But in 2008 is when we finally end up moving in. We being my wife and my daughter at the time, she was maybe two. And um, a few of my friends that we had kind of connected through either A, one of them being Joe, who moved out. And or some other people who were like, man, let's go move into that space and begin to love our neighbor. So into that, that apartment. Yeah, into the yeah, exactly into the, the the old crack house apartment complex. And at that time, I think two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the word loving your neighbor, love your neighbor, or something like that, was really take get some traction in the U.S. Um, there was a, at least it was popping up on everyone's T-shirts, but there was <laughs> like there was like a push to love people and love God or something like that. Mhm. And uh so there was like man, what if we move in and um and try to to just try to be the change agents, you know? But as I've said over the years, I think we were more so invited to move in there not to um change the poor, but to be changed by the poor. Um I think that really living across the street from the city rescue mission invited us to more of a front row view of the prodigals, but only to see within a mirror of the broken that we were the prodigal son's brother, Um, more filled with our own righteous works. Mm. Um, And knowing that the story of the prodigal son, which just means extravagantly wasteful, the word prodigal, we we would see how... How our own lives were less like that or more like the prodigal son's brother, and really, I think in that time Jesus was trying to invite us to become servants mm. servants that then become sons and then become soldiers but anyway um the uh it was in that two thousand eight two thousand and nine that our narrative of our our vocabulary I should say started changing from the homeless community to our neighbors, and so once we started seeing that that side of the relational connection, and then at that time maybe commuting to a suburban church community, mm. we would then realize that like a lot of the suburban s- suburbanites wanted to come down to the urban poor, but I don't know if they would have been as comfortable with the urban poor going into that world. Mm-hmm. And going to kind of the their church, campaign. yeah, exactly, and just seeing the stark contrast of the rich and the poor at that time was just growing hmm. and and then seeing that a lot of times in the suburbs it was more about resources, lean yeah. things instead of relationship. And so all that started to manifest into our our values of the relational poverty that is overwhelmed. America, the prodigal nation being extravagantly wasteful. And mm. I mean, I could show you each year at the end of this thing called Chris Moss that's coming up here where most of the suburbanites are going to need to try to clear out their storage units um, because their 3,000 square foot home is not big enough to only find that they need to give away more mm. so that they can consume more. But we can talk about that stuff later. but we're talking about an epidemic of consumer-bent culture, um, even within God's people. I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about those who have been um, captured by the the patterns of the world Mm -hmm. um, within God's people. And uh, we all know Romans says not to do that, not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but when you're trapped within the cares of the world, it's so deceitful to think that it couldn't be the way because it feels so, so much of a blessing. But it's sort of like that Haggai thing. I think we have, we have stuff, but only to find that there's holes in the end of our purses. Yeah. But anyway. Hmm. I'd love for you to talk a little bit,
0: press into that a little bit more because earlier you talked about Haggai and it, it, it says... You've built up your own houses and left my house in ruins, you know and and then you said that you know the temple is the people, yeah, um and because you you know you had entered into this this world um I'd love for you to just press in a little bit more into that and then talk about um what what you, what you saw, and, and even, you know, what, um, more than just even what you saw, what you feel like God started to show you to, to do and take away or give, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, as you talked about, you know, you felt you were there to serve, um, just wherever you want to go with that.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, here's how it kind of begins. I mean, it says in Haggai 3, or oh, chapter 1, verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came to by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, consider your ways. And when I saw that, consider your ways, it just kind of was like my ways versus the way, you know. I had to just ponder my ways. And it says, You have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes, therefore, thus consider the lord says thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and then the next verse says, "Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build a temple and um and so, yeah, I just feel like people were front and center in the heart of God and that he was trying to shake and awake our life to consider a shift, Mm -hmm. um, a shift that I kind of say a lot, but I don't know if it's translating well, but like a full amending of our ways and doings, Mm -hmm. which I, if I was to try to break that down and say what that might mean in today's terms, it's just, Stop what we're doing and go another direction. And I always tell people, just do the opposite of what the world's doing, and you're probably going to be moving closer to the way. Mm. So whatever they're they're doing, just stop it and do the opposite. Mm. But, um, but, but yeah, w- that probably didn't answer your question. But yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, in the midst of all that, so you guys moved in, right? And um, and what did what did you uh, begin to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, we move into a really rough spot, but those it, it eighteen months prior to moving in, there was a lot of purging in our own hearts as we're scraping floors that that people were beat on, or cleaning up places where people were stabbed, and we cleaned out a a, a building that had maybe seven or so f- just dumpster filled of just pornography, and and we're cleaning out where prostitutes were raped and or just things that were really awful that I'd never even thought about um, in my comfortable bubble. But it was there that I was seeing kind of like this battle for dark and light. Um, And also, I think one of the phrases that I kept hearing about what we were supposed to be doing down there was this place of rest. And the way I kind of translate that now is like that we were to kind of go live in the urban context to enter into the rest and to detox from doing.
0: Mm.
1: And in that, though, we were doing a ton and, c- you know, kind of exhausting ourselves and trying to connect people to the urban poor, thinking, again, we were still the change agents. But what we realized when we were down there, and we were, like, cleaning up mattresses off the streets that chicks were being raped on or finding trees that we were trimming that, were being hidden places for people to practice lots of death. Um, or cleaning up crack alley where three or four hundred crack deals a day it seemed like were being done. But so we just spent a lot of times physically restoring the streets because we were being stirred up by Zachariah um, yeah, Zechariah seven and eight and also um Isaiah fifty eight, which talks about restoring streets. So in our attempt to clean up the streets one block at a time um, we would kind of begin to start seeing that we were picking up more food on the side of the road than we could pass out. Mm. And we start out with just like every other suburbanite might, you always think resources. And so we were thinking the same thing that every other Gentile would think of, which would be food and clothing. And so you pass that stuff out. But then as you're cleaning up the streets, you're also realizing you're throwing dozens, if not hundreds, if not yeah, I mean I would say we've thrown away thousands and thousands of pairs of everything over the years. Mm. Um, realizing that it wasn't that they were hungry and thirsty for resources, but righteousness and that was only gonna flow through relationship. And and so we would not have thought that we wouldn't be able to articulate that without getting to invite invited to move in there and watch out the window of how oppression in the urban poor worked, and how oppression within the suburban rich worked, and how that system continues just to to be just continuing on today it's just a it's a wild phenomenon um but yeah, getting a front row view of of that system and how it's broken, and how the filelessness continues to grow as a result, how the prisons continue to grow. And, uh, wow, everybody eats their steak dinners. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, like for you, until
0: you left what was comfortable to enter in and um, into something new, nothing nothing changed, you know, for you. Um, um, and I think what was really interesting, something you said that was really powerful to me is... You didn't necessarily enter into there to do anything. Right. But to just to mm-hmm. just to just be there. Yeah. Um I feel like that's a really <laughs> that's a really powerful statement of concept. Um and that really you were entering into into rest, but by the very fact of you being there, it was you know, it was causing it was instigating and causing change in that community, because what you're saying was, you would just physically go and start cleaning the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you, and Phil, if you have any questions, jump in. But what what have you started to see um, in your time in your time there um, as a result of just being, if anything?
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, I think really. Um uh, going stemming towards uh, over the last decade trying to figure out what a discipleship culture would look like being still or being known or just being or or even the the phrase that we use so often the be attitudes in matthew five through seven just being uh has really been part of our course of life you know this last decade of just learning to be instead of trying to prove a doing but even the book of acts which is about a, a book of action that that comes upon the church it says in chapter 1 verse 1 uh, something along the lines of o Theophilus, the account I give to you what Jesus began to both do and teach so we always get told like when we're when we say the word being, it seems like we're not doing anything, Mm -hmm. but Jesus himself says he only learns, he's only doing or saying what he's seeing the Father doing, so it's as a result of learning to be still that then you can then listen and abide, that then takes you then to a place of learning to go do or obey the fruit of obedience, you know, but I think within learning to be, you then have created time and margin in one's life to just even learn to be still. But the current system that leads us all to exhaustion has us so busy that we don't have time to even learn to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's why doing is so easy. And as a result, it also kind of helps this pacifying problem called guilt. And, um, And so the guilt offering is... Basically, double downing on doing. I call it kind of like Cain-like sacrificing versus Abel-like, but that may not translate to a lot of people. But but I guess in those years, it wasn't even so much about trying to transform neighborhoods. It was just us trying to figure out what is Jesus saying and how to Mm -hmm. listen and obey it. And, I mean, I could not even tr- begin to say what I'm saying right now without a lot of his teaching us in lots of failing and also in doing life together as a community of people, um, which that may not even be really clear now because we haven't even talked about that part. But mm-hmm. over the course of moving in, others wanted to join in with us and start doing life together. Mm-hmm. But in that, even that was we all started off with different church brands that we were attached to and kind of commuted to at various places on Sunday, but that was the beginning. It had to start somewhere, right? And, and so it was just part of our journey of trying to figure out how to shift from going to church to being the church mm. through a culture of being disciples who mm. are tenacious about seeking first His kingdom and righteous living.
0: Mm.
1: You know... <sighs> Just hearing your story, I
0: see, like, a direct parallel with, you know, you think about Jesus. Um, he's up in heaven. He's got everything in the world with the Father in heaven, you know. And and he comes down, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. um, And, like, I- exactly what you have done is... You've just, you had one, you know, like you said, one epic of life. And you entered into a whole new scenario. And you just dwelt. Um, I think that's a powerful parallel that uh, that really speaks to me, just listening to your story, you know? Mm. And, uh, cool, man. you know, I don't know if... Um, what would you say you know you've been on this journey for 10 years here but um you know you and i'm sure you've had thoughts and everything but what uh what would you say if anything um the lord has started to reveal to you about um a way forward um for for all of us you know cuz i think I think culture is shifting in such a way that you know we we see the disparity you've lived the disparity you know your personal journey but um you know because of your experience like I think it could be really helpful to to me and to others to hear from your perspective what um what is a better way forward
1: mm. I mean, it's so hard for me to give real tangibles because I live in the intangible, abstract world so often. And I don't know if it is even good for me to give too many tangibles because I really think that for a disciple or anyone really that's just hungry for a shift, uh, something different than the world, it's just going to come down to obedience. And I hate using the word radical obedience, but sometimes it seems like there's a passive obedience maybe where you're just kind of like, well, maybe... But I'm talking about a tenaciousness where you're like willing to to jump off a cruise line ship, to get onto a leaky fishing boat, to get to the other side, and on the other side you start to see this stuff that we see in the New Testament, where like the church is blowing up cities in a good way. Um, because of a couple m- major things where they began to to just love. <laughs> love love others. I, I mean, it, how to take a city forward, I just think it starts within maybe even just the remnant of a few people who begin to get hungry for holiness and less hungry for the world and and then move their in a, move their lives in a way that is more around maybe simplicity, Accountability, transparency, vulnerability, any other entity you could think of that would, would really help free one up. I think the kingdom's going to be about f- freedom. Um, I think it's going to flow through relationship. And so move towards relationships that are, that, are, that are so committed to whatever the Bible says, you just kind of go after that and let the word become a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And he will lead you from the world to the way I think people would just have to be willing to go through a wilderness stage. I think everyone's going to have to go through one. It's there in the wilderness stage that Jesus is offered on the third temptation, the kingdoms of the world. And it's after that temptation that he then is able to share the good news of the, the kingdom of God instead of the kingdoms of the world. And um, the kingdom of God, according to Romans, says it is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And so just get tenacious about that. Um, I, th- I do think it takes living life together because the idea of isolation is going to destroy anyone. I do think uh, there's so much that happens when within life together that, that can't be done in a compartmentalized life because there's so many things that happen in the intangible time or just standing on the street corner. I also think that th- you were reflecting on just us living in um, in that space, changes started happening. And one of the things that, that I mean, there's so many things that I think come by just dwelling in places of darkness because the least amount of light that we had to offer kind of would encourage our faith to keep burning brighter. And so there was, like, this natural thing in, like, uncomfortable places that happens to keep you from being comfortable and moving towards the comforter. Mm. Um, I think that when you move into discomfort, uncomfortable places, those who move in those places together, then you kind of have only each other. And that's how you stick to relationship and relationship is so much of the kingdom. Um, so again, seeking first the kingdom, I think w- does sometimes require for some people to do some radical things that might look like sell everything and just kind of move in. But, and I don't even know what move into what means, but I think there is also a culture, or, uh, I should say there's an appetite in people right now that they're just so exhausted. They're just so, so exhausted. And he keeps talking about entering into this rest, but but the American scheme has a grip on the all sorts of minds in this nation. Um, and so I think by moving away from that, might even look like, I think, learning to b- to maybe even like i w- I mean this is a weird statement, but I just think learning to to uh be the church mm-hmm I know in this town there's a church on every corner, and they keep building more and yet no relationships you know there's a relational poverty, mm-hmm. and maybe there's a few good ones. I'm not gonna speak on everyone on everything on every corner, but overall there's a relational poverty that's crept in and mm-hmm. And so I just think if people wanted to be set free, they're just going to see that Jesus becomes their shepherd, he becomes their teacher, the Holy Spirit becomes their helper, the Father becomes Abba once again. I mean, I could go on for hours. That's those are just the inner man things. I don't how it manifests on the physical, you know, I could mm-hmm. go for hours on as a city what 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 it would look like to change our ways and our doings. Mhm. Or How I should translate that, which is stop everything we're currently doing and do something different. (laughs) (laughs) But we're coming up on, uh, I think this is coming up on November, so that means the system's going to tell us that we all need to do can drives, blanket drives, coat drives, (laughs) beanie drives. And then I will assure you, just go look at some abandoned parking lot or some other abandoned field, and you'll see all that stuff that's come in. Because it's just an, an abundance of resources. And it will end up in the landfills. But hmm. uh, we don't have to talk about that either. So like to emphasize what you just
0: said there, you know, um, would you say I don't want to put anything on you, but you know, it I think that just emphasizes the what you talk about as relational poverty. It's the the you know the the way it has been is what you just said drives and giving resources but what you have seen in your experience is um the fact that people are lonely and don't have relationship um in the midst of all of all that there is the thing that is missing is that that
1: aspect Is that kind of what you would say? For sure. I mean, starting within the oikos of the home and then how that home translates into your neighbor and just getting back to loving your neighbor. Uh, If you don't know your neighbor, I mean, we're coming literally at the, the crossroads of such steep relational poverty that these days people are calling the cops on their neighbors instead of talking to their neighbors. Everyone lives in fear. But according to the first John, it says perfect love casts out all fear. And so just moving towards, I mean, a lot of times people say, well, how do I go about reneighboring or something like that language that we kind of started thinking through because neighbors and neighborhoods or the phrase that I heard a lot was the hood, the hood. And that's what was wild in the early days when we were kind of on the streets fighting for reformation or transformation or whatever you're supposed to say there, we were fighting for something. And a lot of the uh, urban poor at the time, whether it was crack dealers or prostitutes or just people, whatever, they would just say, man, would you come to my hood? Would you come to my hood? And uh, that's when we were like, well, man, what if in a discipleship culture there was a, it was more about a sending, out, uh, a sending out of twos and threes who would just go plant their life in the next neighborhood and then just go love the hell out of that neighborhood and bring heaven to it. But I wouldn't even be able to artic- articulate that in 11 or 12 years ago because my vision at that time or my programming was always to try to get people to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I think religion stems into. It's always trying to get to heaven, but I think relationship is trying to figure out how to reconcile everyone back to the Father. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, when I said earlier, I think they called it youth ministry or children's ministry I think there's only one or so ministries mentioned in the New Testament it's the ministry of reconciliation and that's really what is the the all clarion call for God's people to go about doing it is uh, the ministry of reconciliation and I think it, it was embodied through Christ when anytime he interacted with people he was always reconciling things people place and possessions along his path whether it's go home and get right or do this or do that, all, all bending towards, like even within the urban poor at that time, he was like, pick up your mat and go home. He's always sending everyone back home, and our culture builds homeless shelters. And so it's just the opposite, and we put our Christian flags out front, but really, I think, the, I think we've abandoned the Follis with our concepts of this system, and it's kind of stemming from philanthropy which I could talk about for two hours, (laughs) 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 which I'm not a big fan of, mostly because it's going to be focused on resources, and it's always going to be translated by some metric of how many and how much. Mm -hmm. How many people and how much. That is resources. So philanthropy versus agape, which is which is a nice way of saying love in a way that is so radically different. It's why in 1 Corinthians 13, it says you can feed the poor, but if you do not have love, it profits nothing. Mm -hmm. So there's this bend towards justice, but if you don't have love, it's going to be oppressive.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you have love without justice, it probably bends towards lust. Tim, could you give just kind of a, a snapshot of what does life look like for you now, and um just kind of give us a a picture of your neighborhood, your community what that kind of what that has shaped into now yeah, I think I'll try my best <laughs> in a snapshot it's yeah, hard yeah totally but i I would say within a discipleship culture, there's going to be a multiplication um Wherever there's life, you're always going to see multiplication happening. And that was something that I think was deposited in us. So there was always this idea of sending out. And then so from the crack house era, we started seeing a neighborhood south of us that was kind of hostile. And everyone would warn us not to go in that neighborhood, which to us meant that was the neighborhood to go into. and (laughs) and, And that was just a few blocks south. And so we would just kind of inch our way, cleaning up along our path or trying to bring order and always just trying to clean the streets or we called it mowing, blowing, and edging. So it would look more like servants rather than providers. And in that, we would get real radical favor with people who would want us to move in. And that's what we would might call persons of peace out of Luke 10, where the persons of peace invite you into that home and you get to stay there a while. And so... And it even says there in Luke 10 not to take extra money sacks or sandals or coat drives or beanie drives, but to just go heal the sick and cast out the demons and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. It was maybe our first night there in the first house that we're starting to move assets into. And this guy knocks on the door, he walks in, and we thought maybe at this point he was going to spray us down with bullets because we were in there praying. There's maybe six or seven of us and we didn't even know how to pray very well, but we're in there trying our best and and uh 3 or 4 hours later this guy is kind of on his face weeping and the next morning this guy knocks on the door and he goes he goes I just want to say thank you for pushing the demons out of this neighborhood and we were like what do mm. you mean but <laughs> in that sense I think we kind of got, got a, a glimpse of like how the a lot of times the poor are really close to the kingdom they get a real strong sense of spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot to learn from them. Yeah. And and so we think that maybe even part of casting out the demons of our city is just by being light in the midst of something and then just going in there, and the light will shine in the midst of the darkness. and And so from there, just little opportunities would start to open up. So dwelling next to that house, we ended up getting a chance to kind of take over the, uh, we called it the torture chamber at that time because that's where a lot of the girls were being tortured to stay in that street to prostitute themselves. And uh, we'd see all sorts of people come and go and buy people. But how then what happened for us, the girls would start to come up to us after about two years of just like we're just cleaning streets and they would say could you get me out of here and Mm -hmm. so we would and and then once the girls were out the the pimps would have to leave and then so once the pimps had to leave the houses became available and the what i would have called then was the slum lords who were just kind of using the the system to benefit their own pockets at the expense of the exploitation of the neighborhood but that's just how rulers work but they we would offer these really discounted rent rates (laughs) and then offer to paint the houses and kind of fix them up so we could kind of live in them and since the pimps and the the prostitutes were gone no one else wanted to rent the houses and so they would have to give in and so we were able to then kind of move to even a deeper level of simplicity within a neighborhood so that we would then begin to see what Jesus would, or the the book of Acts would start to look like where it says the church went house to house, having all things in common, so that none have need. And so over the last couple of years, we've been just practicing Sharonomics, so that none would have need. And just kind of get a, just get to practice out what it would look like just to be the church of a neighborhood mm-hmm. without any local brand attachment. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of be the church as we're trying to figure out how to be obedient disciples who love one another and then love our neighbor and then from there love our enemies and letting love be the weapon of choice that Jesus would use to put on display his name. And so for us, we're just into figuring out how to live life in neighborhoods, mostly primarily just for our own sake of just life together, but then also we're seeing the fruit of Neighborhoods, but I would say too, we're still lots to learn. We have still lots to learn on connecting with neighbors who are presently there. But uh, now we have about 10 or so homes occupied within a proximity of a couple blocks, so we can just kind of walk around and watch out for each other and be in each other's lives. Then we're kind of zooming in on another neighborhood where maybe uh, we'll multiply into uh, another space. And uh and try to learn a little bit more that maybe in a decade or two from now we can report back into what we've learned on reneighboring stage 2.0.
0: Hey guys, Stephen here Just a couple more quick things If you enjoyed the conversation Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast And if you would like more content from Ember Subscribe to our monthly content at emberhq.com And as always, if you have any questions or thoughts for us Don't hesitate to email us at info at emberhq.com Thanks so much for listening A little closer.